The following podcast is a conversation about men's mental health made as part of the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival 2017. The discussions feature me, Jassiel, alongside Dan Proverbs and Duncan Cowles. Dan is the founder of the campaign Brothers in Arms, working with and on behalf of men in Scotland to break down the barriers which prevent men from using their emotional voice and actively advocates the notion that being silent is not being strong. Duncan Cowles is a documentary filmmaker and is currently making his first feature film, Silent Men. The film will be a documentary road trip around the UK, meeting and speaking with men, both young and old, about their emotions in an attempt to get them to open up to their friends and family. We talk about emotions, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, how and where these barriers have arisen, and all things men's mental health in between. The following discussions are arguably a one-sided, normative take on a debate which has many other dialogues encompassing various types of men. I want to emphasise, before you listen, that there are definitely other conversations to be had, but these are the beginnings and the openings of how we talk about men's mental health on a ground level. This is not just a conversation for men. This is a conversation for men and women as we all strive towards ways of being honest and being better humans together. So, first of all, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, my name's uh, Dan Proverbs, and I suppose I'm the founder at the moment, I'm calling myself, of Brothers in Arms, which is the... Turns out, I didn't realise this when I started this whole journey, that it turns out that at the moment we are Scotland's first and only men's mental health awareness website. It started off as what I thought was going to be a community project last November. I used to be in management at a big retailer. Long story short, I decided four, year, four years ago to step down from that role. Went to uni with the idea of becoming a, a therapist because I, I've, I use therapy quite a lot in my own way of dealing with my own mental health disability. And it's been very, very productive for me. So I just had this idea that if if I... Could become a therapist then I could help fellow guys however I swiftly came as part of that to the realization it's hard enough to get men for them to open up mm-hmm. in any kind of situation to get them to go to a doctor for god's sakes takes you know we're just not we're just not that way it took me best part of 18 years to get to where I am now but I knew the more research that I did that men were the sort of um we're suffering with how we treat our mental health and how we recognise it and what we do about it. And 75% of all suicide is male. It's the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the UK. And for me, you know, they, those are top line stats. I just find that f- absolutely frightening and found it frightening. Having been at the age of 40, down that path of contemplating suicide. As a male, in that sense, I know how, our, how we work as, as men. We, we can't fix it, and if we can't deal with it, then we, we, we take the ultimate way out. That's how we fix it. And I found that, that in Mulgai, where I, where I live, that in, there's a, a place next to us called Kirk and Tillich, and I started 
finding out that there was a high rate of male suicide in that area, very within a, a certain, it was almost like they were becoming copycat in the space of maybe 20 years or something like, maybe up to 15 guys, young guys that had taken their own lives and very often they were going to the, to the woods to hang themselves. If you didn't know that person, you knew somebody that knew somebody. So that was my thing to, to do this project, which I thought would be just one of many. And then after having that initial pitch to see me, I started doing a lot of researching and found that there was nothing that was really gender-based in Scotland for all kinds of reasons, predominantly funding, but came across a place called the Calm Zone, which is based in London which has become very much the template for Brothers in Arms. Interestingly for me, I assumed, as you do, that it was started by a guy. No, it wasn't. It was started by a woman called Jane Powell. And that tells you tons, who came to it about 10 years ago. It was initially government funded. Then they pulled the funding. I have no reason why. And she worked in the music industry and got some funding through Tony Wilson, of Hacienda and Factory Records, who gave her the startup funding to start the, the Calm Zone. And what, what I loved about the Calm Zone is it's very much was aimed at the 16 to 45 age group, which is at most risk, but it uses culture, art, music, but also then came across the Andy Mann's Club, which was started up by the brother-in-law of Andy, who a young guy who all intents and purposes, which you see repeated time and time again, appeared quite happy. I'd, a child had a wife or a partner and was discovered he'd hung himself in the local woods so the brother-in-law decided to start the Andy Mann's club and what they do is they they do peer-to-peer -peer men's groups very informal settings where guys come together and they talk about stuff and it's a way and I've done a lot of research and it's used quite a lot in other countries like New Zealand and Australia and I find that it's quite a good way for guys to come together. It's important to have it informal, you know. There's no mention of clinical words, no mention of medication or therapy or counselling. It's just a place where guys can come together. And it's a safe space, as I describe it, to talk about men's stuff or whatever that is. Or you come along and you listen. And actually, that's something that we're going to do. I'm hoping that we start our first one and we're going to hold it in um, the old school, which is a, a barber's in Kirkintilla. And it's a brilliant, it's a beautiful looking barber shop called Speakeasy. We're going to do, hold the first one there and let's see what happens. There's a few things that focused me in pursuing this. It, as when doing the research, and the, the comms zone were very helpful. And, but I, I remember one particular time in conversation that said, yeah, we can help you this, we'll do that, yep. But they said, look, is there any chance you can help us? And I just thought this, this was sort of around about the start. So this has been a year, you know, over a year ago. Can you help us? And I was like, okay, what, what do you want me to do? We've got a young guy from Pennycook who's using the helpline, but we're too remote. We're down here in London. He's up there in just outside of Edinburgh. Do you think there's any way he could help? You know, what is wrong with this picture that we've got here that this young guy, I think he was about 21, 
this young guy feels that the only place that he can go to that he can connect with is based in London. Because time and time again they would tell me, yeah, but we've got mental health awareness sites mm -hmm. for people to go to. And I, I know why, because as a man, he needed something that spoke to him specifically as a male. And I, I was just, I was quite embarrassed, I think, as well, because for me, I've been, Scotland is a sophisticated, socially inclusive society. We should be able to do whatever it is they do in England. We should be able to, we should have our own gender specific site. We should have something that supports men. And that really just concentrated my mind to suddenly have this realisation that for all that, we, all that we do offer in Scotland, that we didn't have this, this thing that could support men in Scotland. Yet you could go to New Zealand and Australia and Ireland and England, many places in England, and they're doing it. Do you think that there is a reason for that? Do you think that the debate around male mental health varies geographically and and do you think that comes from perpetuating a certain kind of cultural stereotype or is that how it's being perceived well, or i don't know i don't I, it may be how it's being perceived and how it's being pushed but i don't think from the from the scottish male point of view they're not saying you know if i hear one more time you know the west coast scottish male doesn't talk i'm gonna you know no that's not coming from us as men yeah I see guys getting emotional. It's probably a lot of Scottish guys getting emotional. At football. So they tell me they mm -hmm. they yeah, don't. Totally. You know, we're just not giving them permission. We're not giving them the the tools, the way to do this at the moment. And I think that came up a lot at the weekend, this notion of opportunity. And it not necessarily being about a desire to not talk about it but being presented with the right opportunity absolutely and we did it in an event in kirk and tillock and we had guys coming up to us once and once we spoke about what we were doing they were saying so when are you going to hold your first peer group meeting because i really want to come along now that's what they were saying not what i was they were volunteering that you know if you provide the space i'm not saying it works across the board but that's how we start this one of the best things I took away from Saturday at the CCA, we had a guy introduce himself and he said, I've come along today to the workshop. He said, I, I've, only, I've come along because I saw your site and I have issues myself and I've tried the NHS 24 and I've tried going to my doctor. And actually he said, I feel, and he, he volunteered this, this didn't, didn't come from me. He says, I feel that what you're doing, I can connect with. I really want to help, you know, I'd, I'd like to volunteer. And I thought, bloody hell, that's amazing, you know. And I could tell because he was very nervous. This, that took him, that took a lot for him to come all the way to the CCA, into an environment that he, maybe it wasn't his natural environment, and to come in and introduce himself. And you know what, that, that showed you the power of brotherhood in that sense, that, that common cause, he felt comfortable and empowered enough to come along and go yeah yeah I'd like to get involved yeah I, I think what you just said there about opportunity is absolutely spot on we need to to give them something that they feel comfortable with as a male that they can come along to and then the other side of it actually is the concept of every brother has a mother or brothers need sisters
Yeah, this was going to be my next question. Why do women and females fit into this? We need them. You know, if I come back to that original thing of the calm zone was started by a woman, that tells me everything. We need the sisters. We need women to help us and educate us as men accept that we have emotional issues. And And also to be, I suppose, to be... That being vulnerable does not make you any less masculine. And this has been a journey for me, you know, it's as a, as a typical man. I am I'm a, you know, typical male in that sense. You know, when I see women talking, what I used to think was gossip. Actually, I now see it's not. It's an exchange. You, you, you very subtly exchange how you're feeling and maybe at a top level, but there's a lot of communication going on. And as men, we don't do that. You know, when we talk, we'll talk about football or what films we went to see or sports or anything, anything but talk about our emotions. And I think also, you know, if it's 12 men a day on average, and I hate that word average, but if it's 12 men a day that are taking their lives in the UK, that's 12 mothers. And very often when you you delve into these stories, time and time again, family and friends and peers had no idea that these guys were going through any kind of emotional turmoil until it's too late, until they either discover the body or they get to say that, that their son has taken their own life. And so what must they go through? So even though we're saying 75% of all men are taking their own lives, it's what about out with that? Yeah, where do the ripples... Yeah, where do the ripples end? end, And there'd be a lot of people just absolutely... You can imagine parents absolutely looking at themselves going, how did I miss this? And again, it's because men, traditionally, we don't talk about this stuff. We don't feel we're able to. It's man up, stiff up a leg. And where do you think where do you think that comes from? It Culture. strikes me that a lot of the conversations that we're having, are, it's constructed around this very binary narrative that we have of how we function as a society. And so that is one question of where do you think that comes from? But also, I wonder where the LGBT community fit in with those statistics and with what you're thinking with Brothers in Arms, because obviously it's not isolated purely. Oh, no, no. Their pressures could be not just to be a male in society, but for them it's probably the fact coming out, being gay. They have their own additional pressures as well as the being a, the male or, a mas- you know, the masculinity and being vulnerable and all that kind of things. The thing is, where do you start? And for me, it's a, I, I take the simplistic view. I've taken this because, you know, the more you delve into it, you could literally just pull your hair out, you, you know, but you, the frustration can abound if you try and get too... So I just look at it as a top level, 75% of all suicide is male. And for me, that's what you tackle first. And as you raise the awareness and as you start, then you can start because people come back to me and go, socially economic and, yeah. you know, is it the poorest people? Well... Maybe so, but actually, we know mental health does not discriminate. 
we've got to tackle this top level first. Then as the awareness grows, then you, and, and, and then as funding becomes available, because money yeah. is the, the big issue here, then you can start looking at all those separate, you know, it's about how we tackle it as a society. And, and for me in Scotland, regarding men, it just isn't spoken about. And it's almost like there's a, I, I think there's a fear because when you say mental health, and I see it in people's eyes because it's such an unknown, because we don't, because it's not part of our everyday language yet. You, you mention mental health and people have this sort of vision in their head of it's been something that's so over, you know, it's, it's a guy or somebody that's got the head in the hands and crying and, well, no, because, you know, you can be stressed at work. You know, it can be very... Subtle, it doesn't have to be that I'm so badly affected that I can't go to work. It's, it, but it's, it's about how we make it part of the common language. I'm just thinking of when I look at it and when I look at my male friends. and It's so complicated because it's so nuanced and it's so part of a cultural narrative that has been built in and that has become so part of their subconscious that it's unraveling all of these things as a culture that yeah absolutely the idea of the patriarchy yes. oh, the idea yes. of the stoic man yes and, and also what's been passed down through families but it, it gets passed down it's part of oh god if i see you know we've got the big toxic masculinity so i think regardless of sexuality that permeates i think from a really young age so we have to change it and it has to start with ourselves as men. For a guy, showing your vulnerability doesn't take away from your masculinity. So surely even more than that, irrespective of gender, it's just about showing that you're human and not being scared to be in that vulnerability. Yes, but unfortunately as men, we need to have yeah, that. totally. We need to have that to say... But more than it being about that doesn't make you any any less masculine it makes you more human well that's a really yeah okay that's a really good way of putting it and I hadn't, I hadn't really thought it from from that point of view I'm, I suppose I'm always I'm always speaking from the man box as I call it uh-huh yeah I, I, I get where you're coming from yes it but makes you more human that, yeah yeah I, 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 I can the, go for that yes in yes. the humility and the vulnerability yes. and the but, but as men, we need to see that. Does that make sense? Yes. If it was women, then we wouldn't get the same message. Mm -hmm. We've got to see the guys doing that for us to go, okay, right, I get it. It's reframing it in a way that's familiar, I guess. Self-awareness in men is just such a, you know, it's took me, as I said, a long period of therapy and learning to become more self-aware, to become more non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. And that's been a, you know, sometimes actually it's easy just to be in the man box. Don't acknowledge your feelings. Don't acknowledge anybody else's feelings. And, you know, that's quite, it can be quite a safe place in that sense, but also it's very isolating. And, and then when you do have some emotional issues, then... You're stuck in that box and you're like, how, what, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, 
Yeah, I, I get to, to get to be a human being. I think there's, a, there's for, for men anyway, I think we've got to try, you know, we've got to go from the man box and then start accepting our emotions and eventually maybe mm-hmm. we'll become better human beings. But we need examples of that. We need to have the, the space to talk about it, to explore it. We need to be given permission. We need to have better role models. As men, we need to talk to men in our language and we need to make it pretty clear you know how i mean time and time again every time i, I put one of our banners out especially the one that says 75 percent of all suicide is male the reaction we get you know people are some people disbelieve it they don't don't believe it i remember having a conversation and it was with a woman and she said well, there is no history of mental health illness in the men in my family. And I turned around and said, well, how would you know? She says, what do you mean? I said, well, we don't talk about it. So how would you know? Mm-hmm. As guys, what do we do when we can't deal with our emotions? Is, you know, when we try and do this, rather than face our issues, we'll go down the drink and drugs or gambling or anything that, then face the reality of the situation that we're, that's affecting us. And ultimately, when none of that works, we decide to take the ultimate way out, which is no comeback. Mm-hmm. That's why very often men, when they take their own lives, hang themselves. Because there's no coming back from that. Just to neatly bring it back and close it, how can, if men are listening to this and women are listening to this, how can they get involved with Brothers in Arms? They can go to the website, which is www.brothersinarmsscotland.co.uk. And if they go to the site, they'll see that there's a Facebook page, which has been really growing as a a community page. Um, There's a a Twitter feed as well. Um, And the email address, so it's dan dot brothers in arms scotland.co.uk get in contact get in contact let's start the start the, the, the conversation and you know what what I'm really getting confused about is that that people are getting in contact and want to get involved. Okay. Who are you and uh, what do you do? Uh, so I'm Duncan and I'm a, a documentary filmmaker. I've made a number of short documentaries over the past few years and currently making my first feature length documentary. Blokes not being able to communicate their emotions very well. Motivated by the fact that I'm useless at communicating my emotions to mainly people I'm very close to. but. Yeah, also just in general, I suppose, a little bit. Just talking about silent men, where did that come from? And what was the realisation? I think it was spoken about yesterday in the workshop mm-hmm. of you wanting to do that. Where does that come from? Because I'd made a number of short documentaries, a lot of them looked at, I suppose, either directly or indirectly, communication, especially within families and people that are close to each other, that 
sort of how you know like it doesn't always work so like within my family there's not a huge amount of communication goes on and a lot of my films looked at that and I suppose it all been kind of built into something about struggling to communicate your emotions to people you're close to and because I struggle with that so much I wanted to do something about it again but I felt like a short film was too I wanted to do a longer film basically because I was getting kind of more and more frustrated by the short film form um, and how it can be quite limiting. I mean, I still make short films because I think I always will make short films, but I think with this I wanted to do something where I had more time to kind of explore it in depth and so decided to make a feature film. I suppose it's like 50% just for personal reasons I wanted to do something where I explored this and so that I could get my head around why I find it so difficult. But then also, you know, to do that looking at other men and then hopefully the film when it's finished will be something that not just sort of works for me and satisfies me, but also something that helps other men maybe with their emotional situation. But then also, I suppose, uh, women will probably find it quite interesting as well in some cases because of, I don't know, I've had a lot of women speaking to me like, yeah, you really need to do something about this because they have trouble with, like, partners or friends and things like that. So, so yeah, it's... Um, don't know, it's taken me on quite a bit of a journey, I suppose, where I end up doing stuff like the workshop yesterday. Uh, and, you know, meeting a lot of people through that that, I don't know, I guess is kind of making it all worthwhile so far. But What has the process been of recruiting men to talk to you? How has that come about? And are people, do you find that people are willing to talk about that? Uh, it's been a bit of a mixture. Like, started off by just going out with the camera, initially just in my local area, and then trying to do, do that further afield and uh, stopping men out on their walks or uh, I've been into pubs or I've been to just into towns and uh, cities and um, spoke to people that way. I posted some adverts online to try and find some men that were willing to come forward. When I went to Newcastle, tried that in Newcastle and met some men through that and I'm doing that as well in Belfast so I'm trying to go next to film a trip over there. Uh, but then I've also met people just through like recommendations from friends of people that maybe would be useful to speak to. And then even yesterday with the workshop, I've now got a whole load of emails and messages from people that are willing to speak or are going to connect me with other people that have stories and experience with it. So, um, so it's kind of a mixture. I don't want to just do one method or another because I feel if I just met people through the internet, that might not be representative of, you know, the a lot of people are like, oh, if you just meet people through the internet, then do you not get a certain type of person? If you just meet people in pubs, you're going to get a certain type of person. So you, it's kind of um, trying to get a good spread. Most people have been pretty willing so far. Um, I've not had many people say, no, I don't want to speak about that. Most people have kind of been really glad to get the opportunity to speak um, and on camera and found it quite enjoyable so far. Uh, so that's been sort of surprising. I thought I was going to be met with lots of resistance from folk being like, no, I don't want to speak about my emotions. I definitely don't want to speak to them on camera and to a complete stranger. But actually it feels like they've actually welcomed the opportunity. How do you go about those interviews? Are you going in with a way of approaching it or are you going in as a blank slate and meeting these people? Yeah, normally I don't know much about them before 
going into the interviews. I mean, stopping people on the street and things, I definitely don't know anything about them. I just kind of ask, just try and get to know them and ask about how they deal with their emotions or can they think of any experiences that they've had or do they know people that have had negative experiences or positive experiences to do with like their emotional holding back their emotions or things like that. Um, and yeah, similarly with the people I've met on the internet as well, it's they've not actually had, they've not necessarily given me much information about them. They've said maybe roughly, uh, here's what I do and I'm, you know, 30 years old or whatever. Um, but I quite like not knowing too much before I go in, in, into an interview and then just spending an hour or a couple hours speaking to someone and finding out about their lives that way. If someone tells me all about themselves too much before I go into the interview, then I kind of don't know. It's not quite as exciting for me, but but it's just kind of the way it's been so far. Normally, but with a film, I do know a bit more about someone, but yeah, this has been a bit different. Have you found so far that there are differences in the conversations that you have dependent on age um, and geography? Has that come into play at all? A wee bit, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I expect that'll happen more as I sort of film more and more further south. I think it'll change, but I mean, I've not been past Newcastle yet in terms of what I filmed, but the it is different. I mean, um, it's funny that a lot of the English people I spoke to have thought that the Scottish are a lot worse um, because they're a lot more proud or um, like closed off. I don't know if Scottish people think they're worse, but the, the, it seems that English people think the Scottish people are worse at communicating their emotions. But I don't know if that's reflected though in any kind of statistics or anything. I've been trying to make sure I film like a good spread of age and not just film like old blokes or whatever. There's a bit of a thing with a lot of the younger people are trying to maybe do something about it and that's why they're speaking or they're trying to help a bit more. There's a bit more of some of the more middle-aged people I've spoke to have been a, a bit more sort of like, well, that's kind of the way I am and that's not going to change. So that's maybe a slight difference, but not, not necessarily the case in all people I've spoke to. So obviously this is a wider debate and mm -hmm. it's a conversation that's being had that maybe comes from the younger generation and that being passed down in whatever capacity. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned briefly about it being a conversation with your own family. Mm -hmm. So how is that sitting within the conversation that you're having with other men? Um, like my own personal situation? Yeah. I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm opening up a little bit to the men I'm speaking to and sharing as much of my sort of story and I'm trying to not let, as I grow older, my emotions get shut down. So I'm making this film to kind of stop that happening as much as possible and to kind of keep on top of my, um, my kind of tendency to shut down a little bit. The start of the film will probably be for me and my personal situation, then I'll be going out speaking to all these men and in the end of the film, probably come back and revisit how my perspective may have changed or may not have changed. But um, hard to predict exactly how that'll, how that'll turn out. It's a film about me, but it's a, it's a film about other people as well. I'm not sure what the balance will be. It's really interesting what you were saying about using documentary as mm -hmm. therapy in a way, and mm -hmm. like, how do you feel like that sits? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely is 
therapeutic for me. I always sort of, I do cringe a little bit saying it's like therapeutic, but it, it, it kind of is. I, I would be lying if I denied it. I mean, the whole film is like my own coping mechanism, I suppose, for keeping on top of things emotionally. And that'll be probably quite clear um, in the film. Something I've been more aware of in the past year or to but even more in the last year of just how much I need to be going out and filming things and if I don't um I can get just quite I can get quite down quite quickly I suppose. I just have a really bad day for whatever reason. If I go out and film it just makes me feel better. Even if what I'm filming is completely pointless. I went out and filmed like a train in slow motion like a few weeks ago with the sunset in the background and just was something to do. It was almost like meditative, I suppose, like waiting for this train to come so that I could film it on the tracks with the sun. And it just gave me something to focus on and do, and that helped. So it's just a, a little coping mechanism, I suppose, that I've got. But I've never thought of it as a coping mechanism or anything until recently. But it's an odd one, because everyone's got their own thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that's maybe what works for me right now is, well, working. Like, I'm happiest when I'm getting on with work, I suppose. But I guess there's other ways of talking about emotions, which isn't talking about emotions. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I was, what I was saying yesterday was that um, I guess the advice to a lot of people is like talk about your emotions or open up about your emotions. But I don't think that's right for everyone. I'm not about to sort of sit down and get really emotional with like all my family members. That would be just like a terribly frightening situation. But if, if going out and filming works for me, then or making a film about the whole thing works for me, then I think that's okay. I spoke to a guy a few a few months well yeah a few months ago now, who was saying that he just sat down once a month, normally in front of the TV, and just like had a wee cry to himself if things were getting a bit much, and then after that he kind of felt better again and he moved on, and um, yeah again maybe that's not right for everyone, but that seemed to work for him, and when things were getting a bit much, that was his like outlet, um, sat on his own or whatever, and. Yeah, if that's, if that's what works for people, then it doesn't always have to be the um, talking to people thing. But yeah, I don't know. It's whatever works for the individual, I suppose. I think it's going to be really interesting what the female debate on it is mm -hmm. as well, because mm -hmm. obviously it affects us yep. really profoundly within yeah. relationships. And mm -hmm. I'm very open to talking about my feelings, but it is that thing, that navigation of like, how are there other ways of opening yeah. up that conversation? Yeah, it's um, it's quite tricky because if someone was trying to f force me to talk about my emotions, I would really fight against it, if you know what I mean. Like mm -hmm. if someone was um, like, oh, do you want to tell me how you feel or whatever, I'd get immediately really like, don't want to do that. But it's fine if it's almost more like it naturally comes about or if I feel comfortable and it just happens, that's fine. But. I think pressurising men to open up is also quite doesn't just doesn't work a lot. You know, just like no, I, like let me do it my way kind of thing, and it's hard to it's hard to um, provide the right environment or the right space to do it. It's quite difficult. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just such a complicated thing. I don't know quite. It's changing a lot. And, now that people are talking about it a bit more and people are trying to find ways to give men a space to feel like they can open up and talk, 
and things like this. The Men's Shed organisation as well, which I discovered during the making of this film. It's like communal sheds all over the country that men can go to and they can... It varies in what activities they do. A lot of times it's like building stuff in a workshop space or it's like there's computers or there's like they can just play board games or whatever and you can just go along and there's a space where you can do that and meet other men and just especially men that you maybe don't know I think there's something like it can be quite comforting talking to just strangers that you aren't close to already it can sometimes be a lot easier than talking to your mates or um, your family or whatever you go and talk to complete strangers and visited one of them up in Dingwall, uh, up north. And yeah, it was just amazing to see folk come together and just get the board games out and just like, have a laugh. And it was just like, that's just great. Sort of things are getting too much for people or people are down or people are um, needing a bit of help or support or whatever. There's, there is things in place that they can try and go to. Um, I think a lot of men or a lot of people not just men really, but a lot of people just get, as they grow older, get more and more isolated. I spoke to a lot of people that tends to be maybe the older men, but the friends have died or just they get more and more isolated as they get older and then they suddenly find that they're not going out as much and organisations like the Men's Shed, can, you can go along and there's one almost in every town or every city, I think, so um, yeah. It's quite important that things like that are there, yeah. And in terms of what you think, I guess you're still making it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is maybe quite a complicated question to ask. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. Okay. Go for it. I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> yeah. What What do you think is the point that you're tr- that you'll be trying to make with the documentary? And um, the point, I don't know. I mean, I hope that it's. There's a few things, I suppose. I mean, I hope that it's like an entertaining film for people to watch on one level. I hope that it's also a film that can help people. Um, but it has to kind of be both as well. I don't want it to just be like a, an activist sort of film that is purely for campaign reasons. I want to do all that stuff, but I also want it to be a good film that people watch and starts conversations and people enjoy watching as well. So it's um, somewhere in the middle, but... Uh, yeah, I hope that it helps me as well on a kind of, I suppose, on a selfish level. Um, helps me and helps others, yeah. I also would be quite keen, and my producer's quite keen, that we do, like, um, try and get, like, community screenings and let organisations like Brothers in Arms um, use the film for their own purposes as well. So we give the film to people so that they can use it and use it to start conversations and raise awareness and stuff like that. So it's kind of two things that I hope come out of it. But I don't think there's going to be any like clear answer at the end of it, if you know what I mean. It's looking like it'll be so many different things. Hopefully it'll be a good film, I suppose. That's, that's one of the things I want, for sure. <laughs> a good film that I'm not embarrassed to show. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. 
If you want to find more out about Brothers in Arms, please visit www.brothersinarmsscotland.co.uk. You can find more out about Duncan Cowles and his film Silent Men at www.duncancowles.com. If you want to join the conversation in any way or find more out about the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival, please visit www.mhfestival.com. And lastly, a huge heartfelt thanks to prehistoric friends for allowing me to use their track Bermuda Triangle to accompany the conversation. You can find them on Bandcamp.